0: Sometimes, you know, we don't give the best um, example of what the church can be because you know we act different on Sunday in church than we do Monday through Friday within our families, at our work, at our play. And I do think people do observe us carefully.
1: There's a distinction that should be made, I think, at the very beginning. First of all, a definition of virtue. Virtue is just the moral excellence of a person. A person achieving what is in their very nature as God made their nature.
0: The faith, um, virtue for me, is knowing that that God is is going to be near. It doesn't mean that I, I might have some difficulties in life, I'm gonna have pain in life, um, just because I have faith doesn't mean it's going to be easy.
1: Would you agree with that? or? Sure. Oh, absolutely. Because you can destroy your own faith. You can, mm-hmm. If you don't foster or feed the faith that God has given you, just like you can destroy your own body by not fostering it and taking care of it. love is more than just the affection of of feeling, love is a a commitment to wanting what is right and what is good for the other person, and even though you may not have descended or ascended to the feeling level yet, you, you still want what God wants for them, and that's true love. Here's your host.
2: I'm Tony Miller with KCDM, your host for the show this evening. Welcome back to this week's episode of Pastor's Perspective. This week we start a two-part series on virtues and vices. We are in the 21st week of Ordinary Time and we'll be previewing the Gospel of Luke for the 22nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. In our news and notes tonight, I'd like to remind everybody that KCDM is live on TuneIn Radio. If you go to TuneIn.com and in the search bar, put in KCDM, uh, you should see our station link to listen live and our podcast link to listen to past episodes of Pastor's Perspective. You can also go to our website, kcdmradio.org, for past shows. Father Marty, do you have any uh, news or notes that we need to let people uh, know about?
0: Well, we're going to be starting school which is very, very exciting. We have an opening of school mass. Um, We'll have a blessing of all the the kids at Notre Dame, which is very exciting. And then um, also uh, tonight, so when we're taping this, um, was the Notre Dame open house. And I had someone come up to me and say, Father, we've heard an episode, and we think you four could be the next Fulton Sheens.
3: (laughs) Wow. How much money did you have to pay (laughs) him? I didn't have any of that tonight.
0: I didn't else? It was. It was. I was. I was kind of overwhelmed by that. So wow. I've never been compared to Fulton Sheen, but I'm kind of glad I was. I guess.
2: See, the good news that I took from that is one person's actually heard the show. <laughs> <laughs> so.
3: They don't have any angels to wipe her blackboard, though.
2: That is true. Now well, that's mm. uh, we'll have to work on that. We will. Maybe we could get some stu- uh, silver cord hours for students or something.
3: Yeah, but how will our listeners see the blackboard?
2: This is true.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> we may we, we may have to work on that live show that we talked about. And in that's one of the blessings of
0: radio because you could go to dinner before um, the radio show and spill down the front of you, and no one will know. No one would ever. Isn't that, know that? right, Father Phillips?
1: You guys said you weren't <laughs> going to talk about my <laughs> eating <answer>. habits. <laughs> I just had a little accident. That's all it was. Don't (laughs) eat Chinese before we record anything.
2: (laughs) Yeah, because by the time we're done taping the episode, you'll be hungry again. I know I
1: will. That's right.
2: (laughs) All right, Father Mike, you have our opening prayer for us?
1: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we gather here tonight joyfully to praise your name and to listen to your holy word. Help us to understand that you are with us at every moment of our life, especially in the difficult moments of our life. Give us the grace to learn from all that you teach us. We ask all of this through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I think you're getting better with that opening prayer after 26 episodes. Okay. Absolutely.
2: (laughs) Thank you, Father Mike.
1: You're welcome.
2: Uh, tonight, the posse will discuss Luke's reading for the 22nd Sunday of Ordinary Time, and that's chapter 14, verses 1 and 7 through 14. In this reading, Jesus continues with the theme from last week that those who are humble will be exalted, and we should be generous to those who cannot repay us. And Father Dennis, you have our uh, gospel tonight?
4: Oh, yes. On uh, a Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the home of one of the leading Pharisees, and the people there were observing him carefully. He told the parable to those who had been invited, not seeing how they were choosing the places of honor at the table. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not recline at the table, in the place of honor. A more distinguished guest than you may have been invited by him, and the host who invited both of you may approach you and say, Give your place to this man. And then you would proceed with the embarrassment to take the lowest place. Rather, when you are invited, Go and take the lowest place so that when the host comes to you, he may say, My friend, move up to a higher position. Then you will enjoy the esteem of your companions at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he said to the host who invited him, When you hold a lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends, or your brothers, or your relatives, or your worthy neighbors, in case they may invite you back and you have repayment. Rather, when you hold a banquet, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, blessed indeed will you be because of their inability to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Christ.
2: Thank you, Father Dennis.
4: You are welcome.
2: This parable should be easy to understand by anyone who has ever planned a wedding. What a huge issue can boil over on this, because of the seating at those banquets. The reading says the people were observing Jesus carefully. Is this because they were trying to find a way to trap him, or were they trying to learn from him?
0: I would say they were trying to trap him, because, you know, by this time we've already had a couple of run-ins with a couple of other people, and and they were watching him very, very carefully. And I find it interesting that, um, you know, they put that line in, that that people were observing him carefully, but what they were really observing him carefully on was would he heal somebody on the Sabbath? Oh, okay. Those are the verses that are missing. Would he heal somebody on the Sabbath? But I also think that this is very um, careful. I mean, it's a very, it's a, it's a line that's directed to us today because I really believe that people are watching us carefully. They're observing how we live as Catholics, you know? And, and I think that sometimes, you know, we don't give the best um, example of what um, the church can be because, you know, we act different on Sunday in church than we do Monday through Friday within our families, at our work, at our play. And I do think people do observe us carefully. How mm. do
1: we live? How do we live as a follower of Jesus Christ?
2: Okay, interesting.
1: I think that's especially true of, of us priests because uh, we're marked men, whether we want to be or not. People know who we are, even when we don't go around looking as priests, having a, you know, a uniform on or whatever you want to call it or Roman collar. They still know who we are, and they do watch us. They they watch us carefully, not just to trap us, but just to see how we're going to react to situations. I thought in this gospel I read it two or three times today already, and uh, something strikes me, and that is the boldness that Christ had in really confronting the people who were right that very day taking the higher places. He said, "When you do it, when you come to a wedding feast, don't take the higher places." And here they've just gathered in the highest, place they could find, and then he uses that as a, a walk-in to what he, what the main message of it is: is that you, you will be repaid in a higher place if you take the lower place now. Which right. I think is very important. It's interesting
3: why in the gospel that they give us the first verse. So, he's invited over to the Pharisees and they're watching him very carefully. But then we skip verses two through six. So if you look at verse, six, or verse 2, it kind of talks about a man in front of him suffering from, probably going to butcher this, dropsy. D-R-O-P-S-Y. So it's this kind of a swelling. So it's this idea that this is the third time now in the Gospel of Luke. So you look back at chapter 6, back in chapter 13, where Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. So it's kind of like the third strike. Like, we're going to get him on the third strike. And they're setting him up for it to see, is he really going to do this?
4: Yeah, in addition to that, I also um, like this phrase that uh, people there were observing him carefully as Father Marty and uh, Father Philip have said. It has reminded me even last time I had uh, gone for lunch at a family buffet. I like that place because it's very quick, the food is ready, I go and eat. and uh, I just enjoyed my meal, and I saw one guy out of nowhere. He paid for my meal. Mm. He put the whole amount of money in front of me, and he left. And I said, "Why?" I'm sure he didn't know me before, and I even didn't know him. But maybe he looked at me how I'm dressed, with the Roman collar and something, and he left. So um. I think our actions can talk louder than our words and I think that is what the world is in need now. Mm-hmm. When we live what we preach, when we live what we, we believe, or I mean, when we live what we believe, people are converted and uh, are touched more. Mm-hmm. So it is really a very strong message to me and to everyone that uh, we need really to show that we are the followers of Christ. Mm-hmm in our ways and actions. Mm -hmm.
0: See, I'm always reminded of of something that happened to me many years ago. I was uh, playing in a golf tournament, and um, I was with three other people. We were on a team together, and play got backed up a little bit, and the beverage cart came by. So I went (laughs) down and uh, stood under a tree just because I I already had a bottle of water, and um, I was just trying to keep cool a little bit. And once the... uh, Once the other three um, guys got their um, drink and stuff like that, one of them kind of yelled down the fairway where I was standing, Hey, Father! And I kind of turned around, and they're like, Yeah, here we are, smoking a cigar, drinking and cussing, just like any good Catholic would do, right? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) my. You know, but I think that's the point, you know, is that they were, you know, people do observe it, and if that's what we're giving off,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Then we've got work to do. But my favorite part of the story isn't that. It's the next day when I was with one of my very, very best friends, Pat O'Rourke, God rest his soul, when he said, well, how did you respond? And I said, I didn't say anything. You know, I didn't cuss. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke that day. You know, but I really didn't respond. And, And I think that's the second part of the parable because Jesus responds in that humility. And if you noticed that in the scriptures and this thought just came to my mind that every time that that Christ is attacked you know in some way or going to be you know cross and things like that he always responds in in humility.
2: Mm-hmm. Would it have been better if you'd have pinned these ears back on the, on the across the golf course, you know, I would like to, have, but <laughs> I didn't know if I was going to get anywhere either.
0: So but but it's that humility too that that Jesus is talking about that that we need to live that that humility that puts others first, that that puts Jesus first in our lives.
3: (laughs) Until he tosses some tables and gets torn away.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It takes quite a bit to set him off, though. Righteous anger. Righteous anger. There you go. So being embarrassed that our final judgment will be the least of our problems at that point, Uh, we hope to be exalted, not humbled at that time, right?
4: True. Yeah, uh, you know human beings are uh, sometimes funny, no one would like to be like, hmm, just settle or whatever. We want to be seen, to be appreciated, to be recognized. That is how we are. And uh, if it is done for just any moderation, without any pride involved, that is okay. But in most cases, like this case of Jesus, the Pharisees, when they go to a wedding, they wanted the high tables. They wanted the respect. They wanted to be put in a place which is separate so that everyone may see them because for them, they felt that they are perfect. That's why Jesus even is even giving this example. So humility always comes in any discussion we do here. And I think it is something we can even put into our daily life. We, and even the listeners, because it can transform our life.
1: You see a practical example of that today, I think, in the news. Whenever somebody really important, an important political figure, or an important religious figure, or important entertainment figure comes to town, it's interesting to see who wants to get in the picture with him that's going to be in the paper that night or on TV that night. And I remember when Pope John Paul, Pope Saint John Paul came to the United States, and I won't mention the president at that time, but the president at that time was was second. Was kind of 2nd uh, fiddle to the Pope as far as the press was concerned. And they they had the cameras on the Pope and what he was doing, but the president was right there. But he was just off picture, just a little bit. So he kept er, he kept itching himself closer so that he'd be <laughs> in the evening news pictures with the Pope. And uh, I I think that's that's not only true of somebody like that, but it's true of a lot of a lot of people. You know, whenever somebody so-called important, unimportant. I mean, quote unquote important you know then there's a lot of people that just like to inch their their way in so that they can, can by association be considered important too so that's not humility
2: mhm well and the, the the stereotype of the catholic that you brought up that was, came up on the golf course that even suggests that as catholics we have to work even harder to overcome that stereotype mm-hmm. Um, and and in, in today's world, that, that makes it that much more difficult. A- after this point, uh, Jesus seems to turn his focus to the Pharisees who were throwing the banquet. Is this still a warning for us, or is he changing his focus to the church leaders or leaders in general? Is it when he starts talking about the people you invite to the party, where is he, where's he going with that? Is it, Is it...
3: I thought it was like he's, he's wanting the Pharisees to join him in his mission. Because you think about, you know, Jesus and his mission thus far, you know, these miracles that he's done for these people that can never repay him back. Here he is. There's nothing you can do to repay Christ back for dying for us on that cross. And here he is trying to get the Pharisees to change their thing because it's kind of one of those things of like, hey, I'm going to invite you over to my fancy party with the expectation that you're going to invite me over to your fancy party. And Christ is saying, like, no, like, invite those who you know cannot repay you back. Invite those, bring them into the mission, bring the word of God to them. But instead, the Pharisees are more worried about, you know, the glitz and the glamour and having that fancy seat at the table.
0: And I think it goes to, I want to piggyback on that, where it's a major theme in Luke. And that is, you know, um, between the rich and the poor, and what christ is trying to do is is not it's not just for those who are rich and who can throw a good party in this life the kingdom's open to all rich poor and and that's one of the major themes in luke um you know we saw that you know either last week or a couple weeks ago you know will only a few be saved right you know they'll come from the east and the west the north and the south and that again is luke's universality that the kingdom of God just doesn't belong to one certain
4: group, but the kingdom of God is open to everyone.
2: And that's the point he's making with that part of the gospel.
4: Yeah, there is also this idea of inviting your friends or your brothers or relatives or whether the neighbors. I think also there is a, a message to take from here because most of the times we would like to do something to somebody so that I may benefit from him or from her in a different ways. So Jesus is really telling us something different from what we are used to do. And uh, for example, in my country, I can use just an example. When you invite people, you can give invitation cards for your wedding or your celebration, but also you, you, you leave a room or you make a budget of those who will come but are not invited so that they don't go without getting something like food or drinks. So it is an example, although someone has not contributed anything, but you can still serve him and uh, do something for him.
1: That shows us the difference of cultures, you know, because that would not be true in the United States. (gasps) In the United States, if somebody came and they weren't invited, they would be looked down upon, like, how dare you come to my party? You were not invited, you know. Whereas in Tanzania, you're giving me anyway the idea that uh, that you're making a special place for them because right. they came to your party and uh, uh, a few weeks ago, I was invited by Father Nicholas for his installation mass in Davenport because I was the former one of the few former pastors of that parish okay. that was still alive, and he called me personally. And he made a big deal about how what an honor it would be if I would come to be part of his installation. Well, I was sick that weekend and I couldn't come, so I had to call him back. And he was so disappointed, you know, and I thought, this party is for you, it's not for me. Why are you so disappointed that I can't come? Mm-hmm. But he had that beautiful African cultural approach to to uh, welcoming other people. And uh, so I was touched myself by that. So. I think we can, we can learn a lot in our own culture from that.
2: And the, the gospel ends by reminding us that not to get attached to worldly things, to things of this world, and to, by welcoming the poor and helping the poor and the sick and those who can't repay us, we will be rewarded at the, I think it says the resurrection of the righteous at the, at the very end. So shouldn't we want to be repaid hopefully in heaven rather than getting our our due down here?
1: That's the great irony of this whole thing. That we all want the same thing. We want, to, what's in it for me? We 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 all have that feeling. And our Lord is giving us the true answer to that. Not to pay attention immediately to what we need, but to pay attention to the needs of other people. And in the end we will get more than we even want right now. It's an irony that, that in trying to satisfy our own needs first, we destroy ultimately the real happiness that God wants for us. And I, I just think the answers are all there if we just pay attention to the most important parts of the message.
3: Kind of reminds me of that commercial. You see it on, like, usually Fox, you know, in the afternoon. I want my money and I want it now. <laughs> Call 1-800-JG <laughs> J-G Woodward. Seven 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 cash now. Eight seven seven cash now. Cash now. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things of like we want it now. We want
1: our reward now, not later. You notice how they got all the details right for oh, yes. Oh,
4: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I may or may not watch Fox as a child <laughs> in
3: the afternoon. Well,
2: you see that commercial every ten minutes. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Um,
3: okay. Even in well, the overnight hours when someone is, is in an ER room, <laughs> maybe being tested for COVID. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay. That finishes up our discussion of Sunday's gospel. Uh, for those who are just turning in, writing, tuning in, writing in the posse tonight are Father Dennis. Thank you. Father James. Hello, everyone. Father Marty. Hello there, everybody. And Father Mike. Hello, good friends. And we'd like to thank you for joining us this evening. We're glad you're here. So now we're going to move our discussion on to the virtues and vices.
3: But we're very thankful tonight that Father Phillips has joined us. Last week he was sick, but he has arisen. And we are very (laughs) thankful for that.
1: The illness was not terminal. (laughs) Much to Father James's regret. Oh Oh. whoa, whoa, whoa! (laughs) No, <laughs> Louis!
4: No, 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 no.
2: <laughs> okay, I have to admit that when I first thought about doing a show on virtues and vices, it's a topic that I don't know much about. When I started prepping the show, it's simply something that no one has ever tried to teach me. I mean, when I went through RE as a child or as a kid, um, virtues and vices just aren't really talked about that much uh, in church anymore. For me, anyway, I can't speak for everybody, but uh, that's why I thought it would make a good topic for the posse. I certainly didn't know that there are as many categories for the virtues as as I discovered that there are, and that was one of the things I had trouble with, was trying to figure out how to put together the the virtues to, to talk about them to make sense. Let's start off with where do the virtues come from? Are they in the Bible, or were they handed down in uh, sacred tradition, or is it some kind of a combination, or uh, how did the virtues get established, or where did they come from?
0: Well, the virtues, um, it depends. I mean, I'll start with the cardinal virtues. Um, the cardinal virtues are mentioned in the Book of Wisdom, chapter 8, verse 7. Did you know that, Father Phillips?
1: Mm-hmm. I didn't right. know the, Didn't know the reference, but I okay. knew they were in the Bible. I didn't know until
0: I just read it here in the catechism mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it says here that if anyone loves righteousness, wisdom's labors are virtues, for she teaches temperance and prudence, justice and courage. These virtues are praised under other names in many passages of Scripture.
4: Okay. Very
0: good.
1: There's a distinction that should be made, I think, at the very beginning. First of all, a definition of virtue. Virtue is just the moral excellence of a person. The moral excellence of a person. A person achieving what is in their very nature as God made their nature. And so, uh, virtus, vir, Latin word vir comes from the word man. And it doesn't—it's no prejudice against women or anything like that. It doesn't have anything to do with sexuality. It just means becoming what man, human being, is supposed to be. So, a virtuous person is somebody who has achieved those qualities that make you what you are supposed to be. Okay. A virtuous.
2: So, so do the virtues? Do they come from the Holy Spirit, or are just some of them come from the oh, Holy Spirit? First division of
1: virtues is what we call the theological virtues or the supernatural virtues. And those are the ones upon which everything else is based, faith, hope, and charity. And they're gifts, they come from God. You don't earn those, you don't study hard to get your PhD so you can say I've, I deserve to be called a doctor, even though that's what we do in our culture. But they're the, the virtue of faith, hope, and charity. And you can see that in the practical realm by how some people just seem to have those virtues from the very beginning, they're, they're faithful people, they would never be guilty of faithlessness. They're hopeful people, they're charitable people. Whereas other people have to seem to work really hard. You know, they, their faith is weak, their hope is, is, is not what it should be. Their charity needs a lot of work. And, uh, and yet they're, they're, they're gifts, they're gifts that come from God. They can be strengthened, they can be gotten if they don't have them through prayer and through reliance on God's work but they don't come from our own effort and everything else comes from them every of the yeah. other virtues
2: okay well let's just go ahead and, and, and jump into the theological virtues then the three theological virtues are straight out of the Bible in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 verse 13 uh, and this is the this is the last uh, line of first Colossians and it reads so faith hope love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. These are a free gift from God through sanctifying grace and are obtained through the seven sacraments and prayer. In fact, the first three Hail Marys that we say at the beginning of the rosary are said for an increase in faith, hope, and charity. Let's start out with faith. Faith is an intellectual virtue. I found a definition that I'd never heard before while I was doing some research. And it's the theological virtue that is, quote, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, unquote, our firm belief in God and all that he has revealed to us through Holy Mother Church. We have talked a lot about faith in in the previous pastor's perspectives. How do you describe faith when someone asks about it?
0: I like the definition you just gave. I mean, we had it. I mean, we had it two weeks ago in in the letter to the Hebrews. You know, faith is that those things. You know, um, you know, things that are that cannot be seen. You know, and and for me, it's the my my good friend again, Pat O'Rourke, gave me one of the best definitions of faith I've ever heard, and that's knowing Jesus is is there even when He seems so very far away. Okay. And, and I think that's the, uh, the faith, um, virtue for me is knowing that, that God is, is going to be near. It doesn't mean that I, I might have some difficulties in life. I'm going to have pain in life. Um, just because I have faith doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Right. Sometimes it's hard, but faith is the virtue that says I'm not alone in all this. And, and the other part too is, is with faith. Um, We have to remember that we've got to keep the faith, we have to live it, um, but we also profess it, we bear witness to it, and we spread the faith.
2: Well, and faith is something that we have to work on. Faith is something that we have to nurture and develop, too, isn't it?
0: Oh, all the virtues are.
2: All the virtues are, okay. For me, it is,
1: anyway. Would you agree with that, or...? Sure. Oh, absolutely. Because you can destroy your own faith. You can, mm-hmm. If you don't foster or feed the faith that God has given you, just like you can destroy your own body by not fostering it and taking care of it. And so there are dangers to the faith. I remember as a kid growing up, they used to tell us, beware of things that will damage your faith. And I never knew exactly, compared to what I know now, I never knew exactly what they were talking about. But we have to provide for ourselves an environment which will increase our faith, foster our faith, strengthen our faith. That's very that's very
4: yeah. important. I want also to add another aspect of faith. Faith can be faith in God and even faith in your fellow human beings. Because if you don't have faith in other people, you will not trust them. And if you don't trust people, oh my gosh, you will be suspicious to anybody. So faith goes even beyond the level of uh, the faith in God. It can be also faith even in our daily life. Mm-hmm. We need it to trust people. We need it to believe that this person can live, be with me and uh, is safe or whatever. But if you lose that faith, you become a horrible human being.
2: So if, if faith is a gift from God, does a non-baptized person have faith?
4: They have natural
1: faith, hopefully. The one caution that I would add, which just Father Dennis said, is that people sometimes can disappoint you in faith. Yeah. You can put your strong faith in them, and they let you down. Oh, yeah. And God will never let you down, you know, no. and that's the big difference. But uh, just because a person might not have the fullness of the supernatural faith doesn't mean that they don't have some kind of faith. And they can build on that. You know, at some point in time, God will give them that supernatural, theological gift of faith. And uh, because God is very generous in his gifts, and we've got to remember that.
4: And also we differ. Some have a stronger faith. Others have maybe superficial faith. Others have a little faith. But it is a kind of faith. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of faith. You can work on it and uh, be strong in faith. But it requires my actions and my participation. Well, that's a big part. is like, you know, God has given us faith, but what do we do with it?
3: Do we nurture it? Do we try and you know, build on it? Or is that Christmas gift that our one aunt gave us that we don't really like? And so we pull it off the shelf anytime that aunt, you know, JoJo comes over to make it seem like we really mm-hmm. like this gift. Like, what are we doing with this gift of faith? You know, because ultimately, all of us it's going to lead us to the cross you know and we know in the church there's you know persecutions against the church you know you think of it you know people going like oh catholics like oh yeah mm." it's do we stand up you know for our faith do we do we allow the that virtue of faith to grow in ourselves or do we kind of run for the hills and kind of hope like "Ah," or we only just look to be a catholic on ash wednesday when everybody's got ashes on their head (laughs) So so can we as Catholics
2: have salvation without faith?
3: Well, you, well I would argue that God can save, could save anyone. But I would also argue, though, like, if you are actively turning away from God, do you truly want to be saved?
2: Okay. Interesting. And
3: then I think it
0: raises another question, too is what about those who have not yet heard the gospel or have not heard of Jesus Christ?
3: Yeah, the Good Friday intercession.
0: Right. Or, you know, it's like in in the Eucharistic prayer that we don't use very often, number four, you know, where it says, those who seek him with a sincere heart. Oh, okay. You know, and and the way that I always was taught was that those who have not heard
3: about Jesus, but they still seek to do the good. It's almost kind of back to that question you know Vatican too almost of like, is there salvation outside of the church? Almost kind of tiptoeing into that kind of a question from here. It's like, can you be can you be saved without faith?
2: The Catholic Church does teach that now, don't they? No, what, what you were saying, Father Marty, about, um, you know, someone who has never been introduced to Jesus or doesn't know Jesus can still be saved.
3: I would say that the church teaches that we believe that other churches— Possess parts of the truth, but the Catholic Church is the one that contains the fullness of the truth. Um, I don't think we've necessarily said 100%, but we have kind of opened the door saying that there's that potential for salvation outside of the church. However, the Catholic Church kind of has that fullness of the truth, that fullness you know for salvation.
2: Okay.
1: The thing that destroys all of this is selfishness, is a direct attack on faith, direct attack on believing in God in preference to what we want for ourselves, regardless of what God wants. And that can destroy faith, that can destroy hope, and it certainly destroys charity. And so we have to be very, very careful. So if a person is in good conscience and is still staking the truth, you know, certainly salvation is open to them, you know. Uh, same thing is true. A, a person is not part of the church itself, you know, in the sense of being a registered member of the partic- of the particular parish. Uh, you know, they still can be saved. But if they know they should be part of that faith community and they do not, they, because of selfishness, decide no, it's my to my disadvantage for me to join that because I'll have to give up this or do that or whatever it might be. Then you're dealing with a, a conscience which is not sincere, is not honest. That's when this whole business in the scripture says, "Without faith, you know, God, 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 you know, responds to people with faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, if He gives us the inclination to believe and we refuse to to believe, then that responsibility is on our conscience."
4: Yeah, and also I want to add something. Sometimes we take for granted, and we don't work on this faith, and it can really shrink. Right It oh, can yeah, really absolutely. shrink. I remember I was preparing a wedding, and the groom, the bridegroom asked me, and he said, "Father, how can I get faith?" I was so much touched. Mm-hmm. because he was a Catholic, but he, has, he had spent a lot of time without coming to church, without engaging himself into church activities. And then now he feels like the level of faith in him is very low. He feels empty. Yeah, he was feeling bad that he doesn't have faith. Yeah. And he asked me that question. So we needed to do something because if you don't cultivate that faith, right. if you don't work on it, If you don't engage in activities which can help you to grow your faith, really it can shrink and uh, we can even end up into another situation. Very good.
2: So let's move on to hope. Hope is a virtue of the will and helps us to keep going in the face of adversity. The church and the Bible are chock full of hope. We all know how this world ends for, for everyone. What do you tell someone who says that they have given up hope?
1: That's very difficult. It's difficult to deal with that because hope is behind, like you just said. Hope is behind so much of everything else, and uh, if they give, if they're hopeless, uh, there's still still future there for as far as they're concerned. And we see that in so many examples today where. People take their own life as an extreme example because there's no future as far as they see, as far as they look at things. And yet, hope is always present for those who are willing to to believe, who are willing to let that faith take take them by the hand and lead them. You know, the sun is always there, even though we may not see it. It's always there. Uh, but it's very, it's extremely hard to convey hope to people who have given up, that's why one of the capital sins, we haven't gotten into capital sins yet, we probably will next week, but one of the capital sins, uh, so so important a sin it is, that the church calls it unforgivable, and that's the, the virtue of, or the vice of despair, is that when a person willingly and fully and completely uh, just gives up and says, it's impossible for God to help me if there is even the God, Usually there's a psychological problem there, too, that diminishes their guilt. But still, you, you, if you if you give up all hope, then that means that you, you no longer trust, you no longer believe, you know. And uh, that can be very serious.
4: So
2: how would you answer the question, where do you hope to be in 100 years?
3: <laughs> uh, tell us, where, where do you hope to be?
0: In twenty plus years.
4: In twenty plus years. Ask <laughs> <laughs> I I him. Yeah, well, he's because the
1: Because I'm the old man. Father. No, you're the uh, one with the okay. most wisdom. Uh, You've seen the earth spend a lot more time I than just, we have. Just because I accumulate years doesn't mean I've accumulated wisdom. <laughs> well, you know? said it. <laughs> uh, well, I will be under the ground, molding away with John Brown, probably a hundred years from now. With John Brown, hopefully. Don't you know John Brown? Oh, the old, old John Brown song from the from the Civil War.
3: You can't sing it because I might be copyrighted. Okay,
1: okay, I won't <laughs> sing it. So, you know where I, I well, where am I going to be a hundred years from now? Hope in glory. I hope I'll be waiting for Father James to come into the kingdom. You know, we we hope so. Uh, we don't know, he's so young, you know, and inexperienced, but um, <laughs> no, I, I think it'll be a whole different ballgame. It's like, where were we a hundred years ago? You know, a hundred years ago, well, I wasn't so. thought of a hundred years ago, and neither was neither I. my parents, <laughs> neither, neither was I. So, but I think in hope, we hope to be with the Lord, and uh. And hope is a, you know, it's another thing, I hate to, you know, I'm kind of uh, monopolizing this whole show tonight. He's catching up on last week. I was gone from last (laughs) week, and I apologize for that. But uh, hope is one of those strange words. We use it too flippantly. Theologically, hope is a very strong word. It's it's our connection with uh, reality. And we say, well, I hope it's going to rain today or I hope the sun's going to be out so I can go golfing or whatever. But hope theologically means I am sure that what I believe is true and I will receive the benefits of that. Now, where will I be 100 years from now from what I believe as a priest and as a Christian is that I'll be with the Lord and I will be enjoying an eternity of greatness and glory and joy and happiness and peace and Everybody will enjoy listening to my words, Father James. With a full head of hair. With a full head of hair and no glasses and no asthma.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I want to read this out of the catechism, too, because it says here in Hope the church prays for all men to be saved. And and I think that's important. She longs to be united with Christ, her bridegroom, in the glory of heaven. And this is a prayer that St. Teresa of Avila wrote. Hope, O my soul, hope. You know neither the day nor the hour. Watch carefully, for everything passes quickly, even though your impatience makes doubtful what is certain and turns a very short time into a long one. Dream that the more you struggle, the more you prove the love that you bear your God, and the more you will rejoice one day with your beloved in a happiness and rapture that can never
3: end. Beautiful. Beautiful. Very good. See, I was, I was thinking you are going to read the definition in 1817 and the Catechism for Hope. I think that's for you. I guess it is. All, All right. right. So, hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. It's one of those things of when you're going to encounter challenging times here on earth, but it's do we place our hope in the resurrection and the eternal kingdom, or are we more worried about what's going on today, and the anxieties, the worries, thinking who are we going to challenge against in ping pong, or who will challenge, oh, yes. you know, Father Marty in a, a game of golf, or or what parishioner might be there. With Father Phillips homily with our stopwatch, you know. <laughs> <laughs> these things that we get so wrapped up and focused on this world that we lose sight of that eternal reward.
0: And I think one of the greatest examples of hope that we've had in the last couple of years was when Pope Francis led us in that holy hour at the start of the COVID 19 pandemic. In a rainy St. Peter Square that was empty. And he gave us that wonderful reflection on um, the disciples in the boat during the storm. And Jesus was asleep.
4: Yeah. You know? mm-hmm.
0: and, and I and I just remember, you know, watching that. And I remember when he blessed us the world with the monstrance, I fell on my knees in front of my computer. And I just remember just being, you know, that the first few days, you know, we didn't know what to do. You know, we were kind of in this dark, and and that day we were given hope Mm -hmm. that through this darkness, Jesus is there, and that's the hope.
2: And I I read, the reason I asked that question was I read somewhere that it it says if, if somebody asks you where you hope to be in 100 years and your answer is not heaven, then you need to seriously take a look at your faith and your spirituality and probably reassess your priorities. So that that's why I asked that question. Yeah,
4: yeah. Um, I just wanted to add one one um, some few words that uh, when you have hope in you, you can face many challenges, but you remain stronger in your faith and in enduring that situation. You can see so many people having serious problems in their lives, or even me or you, but if you have hope. It encourages you and fortifies you and empowers you to be able to move forward. But if, as uh, Father Philip has said, if you don't have hope, it is easy to be discouraged. It's kind of like gold, tested in fire. You begin to see the
3: impurities and the the areas where you're kind of lacking when you encounter those challenges.
2: Mm. So what can we do to encourage hope in others as 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 people as as Catholics?
1: I think letting letting them see that we are people of hope that we do have hope it's always encouraging to meet a hopeful person especially in difficult situations when people say little things like well you always look on the bright side you know you always seem to bring out good regardless of what the problem is uh hope generates more hope and I think that's very important for us. It's not just a namby-pamby virtue for people that don't know what else to do. It's a very strong virtue that leads to perseverance, it leads to a a kind of a a compassion towards others, certainly has a great deal to do with courage. Look at all the hopeful things, that uh, courageous things that people have done underneath it all. There's a there's a, a, a hopefulness that what can be done, what should be done, can be done, and uh, I, I think that that's good.
3: I I kind of think of like an example. So something that you know, we've been talking about for first reconciliation this year is you know is after the child you know finishes their first reconciliation, they light a candle and they place it in the cross. It is that after everyone's gone to confession, you know, we'll have all these candles burning in this cross. And then we'll shut the lights off in church. And you see how strong and how powerful that is, all of that light. You know, the difference between one candle to two candles, the three candles, the four candles, kind of the same with Easter Vigil. You walk into the church Mm -hmm. and the only candle burning at the beginning is the Paschal candle. They go to the first stop, you know, the second stop, the priest will light his candle get closer to the front, and now the church begins to fill with that light, fill with that hope and the joy. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's how we live it out. You know, you see that person that's got that hope and the joy, and they begin to exude. That's right. And that's, that's how right.
1: and, Oh, go ahead. But the Christophers used to have a saying, they still have it, that in confronting the darkness of despair, it is better to light a candle than to uh, curse the darkness. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what both Father Marty and Father James are saying, that uh, you light that candle, and it has an effugates uh, effect, it, it spreads, it goes out throughout the whole building and lights up the whole, the whole edifice. So
0: and I think the other thing you asked, you know, how can we have people become more hope-filled? And I think the other thing too is to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Because when do we get in trouble? When we mm-hmm. take our eyes off of Christ, right. yep. that's when we start to sink. <laughs> sure. You know, and and I, I think um, one of the um, symbols, early symbols of hope, was an anchor. And oh, really? I believe so. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, am I right there? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And um, because a lot right. in a lot of the older churches, and this is in St. Paul's here in town, one of the stained glass window is an anchor.
3: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's the theological virtue of hope. That is our anchor in the darkness. The anch- the anchor when we're, we feel life is coming against us, or hope the anchor life coming against us. That's right. That's what we hold on
3: to. Kind of like the boat that drops the anchor in the storm. You know, the storm's going to want to toss that boat all around. But if we have that strong anchor with that hope, it will remain.
4: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is because we are trying to study these virtues separately, but they go together. They go together. If, you, for example, you lose faith, even hope is affected. If you lose love, even faith is affected and also hope is affected. So it is the presence of God in in our lives. Yeah,
2: hmm. yeah. yeah when uh, when I started the episode tonight, I said this was a, two, a two-part series, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be a three-part series now. <laughs> uh, let's move on to charity. Um, The easiest way to explain charity um, is charity is love. Love of God over all things. Jesus left us two commandments, to love God with everything we have and to love our neighbors as ourselves. If we do these two things, then charity toward everyone, even our enemies, becomes second nature. So, I've always kind of thought of charity as being like, being generous with your money and being generous with your material goods and, and that kind of thing, but charity is not that at all. Charity is
3: love. Why is that so hard to do? Well, it's pretty tough because we have this thing called concupiscence, this inclination towards sin, kind of that idea, you know, if you stand by love, you will follow my commandments you abide in my love. How easy it would be is, you know, we've got 10 commandments, but it's sometimes a little challenging to not, you know, avoid hitting one, nicking one. And so it's that, you know, idea that the can keep since that inclination to sin. you know, we have that fallen nature and it's tough because there's people that'll get angry at us and we we'll want to tell them that they're number one in traffic or, or whatnot, or somebody that's in self-checkout and The machine acts up and you just go, oh, I just want to get this loaf of bread and get out of here. But it's tough because we begin to lose that focus on Christ and we worry about me, what's in it for me, my time, instead of being in the right place at the right time and allowing God to use us as his instrument of grace.
2: So it's really more about um, giving spiritually to others, not materially.
1: Yeah, you know I think we're going to talk about this later on next week or the week after but there's another word for what you're talking about and that's generosity and that's one of the that's one of the natural virtues and it could be raised up to a to the status of a virtue higher than that but it comes directly from charity and that charity uh, it certainly has to do with what we're willing to give to others but it means more of a gift of self to others and the highest kind of charity is that supernatural charity, that love that we have for God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and body. And from that stems everything else that, that comes to us. But it's a gift of self more than anything else, more than a gift of what we have. Mm-hmm. It's a gift of who we are rather than what we have.
4: Very good. It is, for example, if you have the, the, the bitch of love, other things can follow, as Father Philip has said. Mm-hmm. So it is like the outcome of the love you have in you mm-hmm. can be manifested into what you do. Yeah.
1: People have asked me, Father, how do, how do I know if I really love somebody that I don't like very much? <laughs> <laughs> I love that question because it's, you know, so many of us go through that. I always tell them, Do you pray for them? Do you want them to go to hell? Do you want them to run into a horrible accident in life or have a terrible disease? And they always look at me stunned, saying, no, no, I don't want that for them. I don't like them very much, they're not my very best friend, you know, but I certainly don't want any bad thing to happen to them. And I say, well, then you love them. You know, love is more than just the affection of, of feeling. Love is, a, is a, a commitment to wanting what is right and what is good for the other person and even though you may not have descended or ascended to the feeling level yet you, you still want what god wants for them and that's true love and eventually that will affect the feelings as well some of the people you don't like at all you may find out that you you find qualities in them that you really do like
2: all right very good well, we didn't get to uh, we didn't get to as many of the virtues as we wanted to tonight, but uh, we will uh, we will just pick it up on right, the next show. Next <laughs> We've got quite a bit to cover yet, so I'm sure it'll be three shows, maybe four. Hey, hey! Sure. We'll just have to see what we get to. No
1: more homework. This is great.
2: So, with that, we bring part one of our episodes on virtues and vices to a stopping point. We've covered the foundation of the virtues. And why they are important to our daily lives. I'd like to thank the posse for your fortitude throughout tonight's show. (laughs) Father Dennis. Thank you. Father Marty. Have a good night, everybody. Father Mike.
3: Thank you very much.
2: Father James.
3: Thank you, Tony. And thank you, listeners.
2: uh, And uh, let's see. Father Marty, you have our
0: closing prayer tonight. And I have to pick between an act of faith, hope, or love. So I'm going to, I hope that the act of hope is okay. Good. Okay. In the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. O oh Lord God, I hope by your grace for the pardon of all my sins and after life here to gain eternal happiness because you have promised it who are infinitely powerful, faithful, kind and merciful. In this hope I intend to live and die. Amen. 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 Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you Father Marty. You're very welcome. Pastor's Perspective for
2: next week, the 23rd Sunday in Ordinary Time, will continue with chapter 14 in Luke's Gospel. And we will uh, continue in our three-part series on Virtues and Vices with um, the, let's see, we will be doing the Cardinal Virtues. And hopefully we can get through the four Cardinal Virtues on the next show. Until next week, remember, live in Christ through His body, the Church. We invite you to come back to Mass to receive the sanctifying grace to increase your many virtues. Consider this an official invitation to come home to the Catholic Church. If you are attending Mass, invite someone to join you. Again, I'd like to thank the priests tonight. Uh, Without you sitting around the table, it would just be me propagating heresies on the radio. (laughs) I'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please tune in again next week or listen on the website or podcast. Until then, let today be the day we start praying to acquire all the virtues in abundance and to shed all of the vices we have in our life. The reward for acquiring these virtues is out of this world. Go forth and make disciples. God bless you all and good night.